Women Today. Faster my good afternoon. It is Friday and this is Women Today on Manx Radio with me, Beth Espy. And me, Christy Dehaven. And thank you very much to Stu and Catherine for Talking Heads. They will be back at midday on Monday. But on today's show, we are joined by an extraordinary young lady who deserves and uh, devotes a large amount of her free time raising money and awareness for people who are considerably less fortunate than herself in remote parts of the world. And when I say young, I do mean that because Lula is just nine and we're going to meet her in just a moment. And also today, it's the end of an era here at Manx Radio as uh, our news editor, Marion Kenny, packs up her microphone for the final time today. We're going to be talking more to Maz in just a moment. But I just wonder how you felt, Marion, driving up the hill for the final time, coming to work here this morning. It was surreal. I was thinking how many thousands, if not tens of thousands of times have I ploughed up that hill. But one thing I will miss, Beth, is the fantastic view among many other things but yeah it's uh, well I've been getting used to the idea of leaving for the last 10 weeks so um, it's strange but I'm getting over it. Well Marion Kenny's career in journalism began with what she described as a real baptism of fire. Her first job as a rookie reporter at Radio Hallam saw her sent out to report on the picket lines of the miners strike in the 1980s. She later interviewed the miners leader one Arthur Scargill and over the years she's covered other incredibly high profile stories the Strangeways prison siege, the Handsworth and Mossside riots and following the release of Terry Waite's fellow hostages after years of imprisonment in Beirut Marion interviewed Terry Waite's mother. But despite all that, Marion describes the Isle of Man as by far the most challenging and varied patch she's ever worked in. And today she is going to leave this patch to the reporters she's been in charge of for nearly 10 years as she moves to Pastors New. And we'll talk about more about what you'll be doing uh, a little bit later, Maz. But um, just take us back to what it was that first made you want to pursue a career in journalism. Mm. Well, I, I just I went to university to do an arts degree. It was literature. And uh, with my only other ambition before that had been as a little girl to be a nurse. I wasn't quite sure what uh, direction I was going to go in, but I knew I loved writing and I felt that I was quite good at it. So I joined up to the uh, the student newspaper and got sucked into that big time. I mean, it took up most of the whole of my second year and then I rose to, through the heights to, uh, to become its editor. And uh, it was a reasonable weekly newspaper. We broke some good stories on campus. I got um, a column in the Eastern Daily Press with a with a friend, and we actually got paid ten pounds for that. And we saw our stuff published with a byline. And when it came to careers time, I uh, went into my careers interview and uh, said I wanted to be a journalist. And all the information I was given was about print. So. That's really all that was on my radar. Then the uh, the careers lady rough, uh, rummaged around in her bottom drawer, dusted down some old moth-eared leaflets. So oh, there is this, she said. And it was uh, information about a course in broadcast journalism. At the time, uh, and we're talking about um, the early 1980s, 1983, there were only three broadcast journalism courses in the country. Um, there are quite a lot more now. A lot more radio stations, a lot more broadcasters. Uh, but I thought that's interesting. And I applied to get on this course, which is a postgraduate diploma in radio journalism. Never done any radio. There wasn't a student radio station. And got onto the course largely on the back of my um, sort of scrapbook of cuttings from the student newspaper and the Eastern Daily Press. Got my place and I absolutely loved it from the minute I arrived there. Absolutely loved it. 
and the course was in London. It was at the London College of Printing, which I think is now the London School of Communication in Elephant and Castle. And so we had the whole of London to go and report on. And we ran, you know, once a week, once we got up and running, we had studios that uh, we ran as a as a, we had news days and we had assigned tasks and news editors. I just immediately, I loved the deadlines. I loved the the thrill of getting a story and writing it up at speed and trying to get it on the news. And, and I loved interviewing people and going around with my microphone and very heavy reel-to-reel shoulder-carried tape recorder. And I knew it was for me. And I've, I've basically stayed in broadcast journalism ever since. And I, I mentioned that uh, rookie reporter that you were when you went out uh, and uh, interviewed the people on the picket lines. Mm. I mean, that paints an incredible picture of what your first job was like. Yeah. I think I, it's a long time ago, but I honestly think it was my first week. It may have even been when I was on attachment during the course uh, because I went to Hallam for my attachment and that's why I ended up back there for my first job. And it was uh, I was obviously keen as mustard and uh, some of the more laid back uh, hacks perhaps were happy to let the younger, more enthusiastic um keen young reporters uh, go out to these difficult jobs and uh, off I went in the radio car which was driven by one of the engineers as to be honest although subsequently later down the line we drove our own and uh, went and reported on the the day's events wherever the action was whether that was Orgreave or Cortonwood or any of the collieries in South Yorkshire Barnsley Sheffield and uh, Rotherham and Doncaster all around there and a lot of my material used to be sucked into the independent radio network because Radio Hallam is a commercial station part of the independent radio news network and so um, if a big story happened on your patch you sent your audio or your report in and then it would be sort of squirted out to the 54 other stations on the network so you know, I'd get called, my father would get calls from, you know, uncles and cousins saying, we heard your, we heard Marion on the radio, you know, in Cornwall or Scotland or wherever. Um, so that was a real thrill as well. And at the time, you know, I, I got quite a bit of a thrill of turning on the news at 10 every night, you know, and seeing the throng and the journalists up there pressing against uh, the police or the pickets or both, you know, with the microphones in the scrum. And I quite often recognised myself and uh, it was just so exciting. Journalism is ever-evolving, I mean, especially nowadays when you think about the the introduction of social media and the impact that that has on the role of a journalist. And I just wonder how you feel things have moved on, whether it's made your job as a journalist, has it made it easier, is it more difficult, how has it impacted? Well, the technology is the, the big thing. Uh, when I b- Before I came to the island, I'd had six years as a researcher in regional TV. So I'd, I'd been out of radio for a little while when I came back to when I came to the Isle of Man and um, long story, but I ended up working at Ranks Radio, which was never the plan. I realised that um, I'd gone from um, editing quarter inch tape on a cutting block with a chinograph pencil and a razor blade and pushing the the ends together with your edited bit of tape on the floor to a digital situation. So that was probably the single biggest revolution for me. And obviously, um, people's ability to comment and um, to directly um, communicate with you and to badger you, if you like, uh, to come and people have got a lot more confident in doing that. And um, all sorts of all sorts of things like that. I mean, I said you, you describe the Isle of Man as one of the 
the toughest patches that you've covered? I mean, do you really mean that when you yeah. think about some of the high profile stories? No, I you've do covered? actually. I mean, um, when I uh, we visited the island a number of times um, before we moved here, I recall driving off the boat, turning on the news bulletin, and hearing someone read as the lead story on a Saturday morning that a new bridle path had been opened, and I fell about. Thought that's not news, is it? But little things matter more to more people in a small community. And that's true of lots of things, whether it's the closure of a post office, dog poop or bus timetables or anything else. But, Beth, when you think about some of the... Because we are reporting on a whole nation and a microcosm society, when big things happen, they're enormous. So just think of the loss of the VAT millions or the potential loss of the reciprocal health agreement, the collapse of Capthing Bank. These were absolutely huge stories, the like of which, okay, I've been on a picket line and I've been to a riot, but that's in and out. Grab a bit of audio, describe what you saw. Trying to understand what is going on with those issues and try and unravel them and process them yourself, let alone try and explain them to an audience and then gather the vast array of of reaction and commentary that's needed. You know, you don't really get a crack at doing that, even in the biggest city radio station, because you're, you know, you don't get to speak to the Prime Minister if you're working in a local radio station in Birmingham, but you speak to the Chief Minister here. It was a different, it was a total revelation. The other thing about the audience, and I wonder if you agree with this, that it could be argued they are quite demanding in some ways you know there is a a very strong demand for uh, journalists here to be as challenging as possible obviously you have to be as impartial as possible you have to not risk interviewees not though wanting to speak to you at some point in the future because you've pushed them too far how do you handle all of that um I think there was a a slight sort of culture of, of not wanting to upset too many people when I got here but having worked elsewhere where you were never going to meet the same person twice apart from perhaps a council leader or the local MP there was never any fear of, of upsetting people you you went head first into the story and that was the way I'd been brought up but you can be challenging and you can um, ask difficult questions and you can hold people to account with your head held high because you are asking those questions trying to get to the truth not for your own agenda but you're asking the questions that the audience want to be answered. So as long as you um, you do your due diligence, you make sure that, you know your facts are correct and that you d- never inject any of your own views into it and not follow any other agenda other than what the public needs and would want to know and is relevant to them, I, I actually don't think it's a problem. I think actually the politicians respect us more for challenging them more. Interesting you mention um, upsetting people and I, I think it's again true to say that sometimes as a journalist you have to force yourself to speak to, to certain people at the most harrowing times uh, for them. It hasn't always given journalists the best name in the past and again I, I just wonder from your point of view mm. how you've handled some of those situations. Well there's no um, tradition at Manx Radio thankfully of, of any kind of tabloid style doorstepping to bereaved people. However I have on occasions approached somebody, um, if I can, with the greatest of respect, you know, describe the, the death of their loved one as a newsworthy event, if you like, and offer them the opportunity to talk about their experiences should they want to. And on every occasion I've done that, the people haven't wanted to immediately, but they have subsequently, because people get a lot of sort of cathartic value out of telling their story and wanting to help others. This could be 
um, a violent death or a road accident, all sorts of things. I mean, I've I've been a shoulder to cry on and, and I've felt like a social service before now. But in terms of how you handle it, um, we have, to, and this is a thing about the small community, perhaps you do behave slightly different here, always um, adopt empathy. It's not sympathy, it's empathy. And back off if people don't want to talk. I don't have a right to know how somebody feels or what impact it's had on them. But, you know, sometimes you can let an interviewee come to the conclusion themselves that they would like to talk about something. Um, I think that Manx Radio would do itself absolutely no favours if we sort of charged into very sensitive situations um, involving individuals who are entitled to their privacy, of course. Um, so that that is always handled delicately. Uh, you are the mother of uh, three children, and I wonder if becoming a parent impacted on mm. your style of journalism mm. at all? I could, having had children, I could never pick up a press release and about a, what you... I mean, this is terrible. You know, things that are called in a newsroom a hit and run or something like that involving a child and treated as um, in an offhand way. I would still treat it as a piece of news. Um, but I, I felt differently about it, shall we say. It didn't change my editorial approach. Um, but I suppose perhaps I gained more interest in all sorts of things from child development to how working mothers and single working mothers actually juggle things. Um, so, yeah, it's it's hasn't really changed my editorial approach. I mean, had I been someone like um, <laughs> Kate Aidy or someone going into a war zone, I have actually stopped and thought, how could somebody, you know, run around when bullets are flying, you know, with a bulletproof vest on with children at home? I must admit, I think... Um, I like to think I'm a fairly fearless reporter, but I probably would have drawn the line at that. What do you think? You used to be in the newsroom. Yes, I know. I think it does change. I think it yeah. changes the way you maybe view things and, and maybe interpret things sometimes. Because that's the thing about, um, you know, the the style of news, I suppose, that we do. It, it is, can be incredibly subjective. So you receive uh, something to, mm. to write up mm. and it you put, you put your own perspective yeah, on it. You can't help it. doing that. Yeah, especially... Um, Let's take, a, for instance, you know, children with special needs and you have your own healthy, well-adjusted children thriving at home and, and you hear about um, people in all sorts of difficulties with all sorts of needs. And I, I think the, the mother in me um, perhaps engages with that type of story in a way that it wouldn't have before. But actually, hopefully the human being in me engages with it. What do you make of the fact you're talking about, you know, sort of different situations around the world? What, what do you make of the fact that we're joined by nine-year-old Lula today and her social awareness I mean, as a young girl? Uh, Lula, absolutely brilliant. I've written down a few. I thought I was going to say these encouraging things to you afterwards. I'm actually going to say them on air. You were confident. You were fluent. You were really, really engaging. I stopped writing and had to listen to every word you said. You're passionate and driven. It's almost a shame that she is only nine because of course with at five o'clock today there's a <laughs> there's a vacancy for the news editor's job keep that thought in mind lula <laughs> you're listening to women today on manx radio it's 20 to 3 now women today 17 minutes to three at lula I think your mum's listening. I think it's your mum because she says edie and i have loved listening to you talk on the radio lula with your dad they've been listening to every word Do you want to say hello to your mum Hi. <laughs> Hi, Mum. Uh, you are listening to Women Today on Manx Radio. We're saying goodbye to Marion Kenny this afternoon. It's oh, a little it's bit so weird. Sad. I don't oh, like it, man. It's bittersweet. Don't go. It's... Don't go. 
<laughs> well, but at the same time, it's exciting. It's for you. exciting. Yeah. It's it's a great melting pot of feelings, to be honest. Yeah. It's uh, sadness and regret, but great uh, euphoria in a way that I'm going on to something else. And especially at this advanced stage of my career that I've actually been allowed to do something complete well something similar but different but different in many ways can you tell us what you are doing now i okay you know full well what i'm doing <laughs> <laughs> um i'm going to join the communications team in the cabinet office so i'm going yes over to the other side so it's literally that whole poacher termed gamekeeper Thank idea you for is that it? phrase okay it's all right i've had to throw in I a cliche i haven't heard it at all have you not are you sure <laughs> it is a path very well trodden by journalists and very few if any have i ever seen come the other way i've often thought that ah, that's not for me certainly not into sort of corporate pr this is this is different this is i've not been many jobs if any in the whole of this island i've ever thought matched the one i've got but vacancies don't come up very often in the communications office one did i applied duh, 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 and the rest is history i'm going <laughs> And speaking of history, we've already heard about some of the incredible people that you've met, worked with, interviewed uh, over the course of your career. I am intrigued, Marion, to know if there is anyone in particular that has left maybe a, a slightly longer lasting impression mm. than, than other people. Mm. You've just sprung that on me. So uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I cannot remember his surname, but that in a sense doesn't matter. He's not from the Isle of Man. It's someone I interviewed about nine years ago, who's a, a paraplegic sailor who um, was around the world yachtsman and had a terrible freak accident um, in the West Indies as he was about to set off to sail across the Atlantic and, and was left as a complete paraplegic. And he has since done huge amounts for sailing for the disabled and nothing nothing that there is has stopped him from continuing to sail and you know I'll admit to uh, it was I know what it was it was during MGP and the prom was gummed up and I had a million things to do here and I'd said yes to this interview and it was down at the what was then the, the Hilton Hotel and I thought oh. and it was after work anyway and I had hours still to do but I said I'd go so I went but slightly ungraciously inside not gracious on the outside and I went there and I was absolutely blown away by his story and what he's done and what he can do and how a disability massive disability never held him back so it's a real lesson you never know what your interviewee is going to be like. And that's the thing, isn't it? Sometimes it's an incredible privilege. Like, we feel privileged today to, to yeah. speak to Lula, who is just uh, an incredible young woman, but the uh, interviewees can be just so amazing at times. And there was someone else, Beth. Um, you had uh, Bev Clark on the programme, who lost her son, Lewis, um, on on the roads in the Isle of Man during, during the Festival of Motorcycling a couple of years ago. And uh, she's become quite a firm friend, and she allowed me to let her tell her story and what, Lewis's passing has, has done to her and the family. I like to hope, I like to think it's actually helped her and she tells me it has, but the suffering they've been through and what they're trying to do to try and spare any other family the, the agony and despair that they have felt is really, really inspiring. So you do meet people in the best and worst of situations. Well, lots of people sending in their best wishes to you. Um, Harry Ooh. wishes you all the best for the future. Hello, Mel and Brian. I also got a quick question, if I can just squeeze this in from Gary, who says, years ago, reporters reported on news that had happened. Do you think that a lot of modern reporters, when interviewing someone, create their own news by the questions they ask? Mm, that's interesting. 
Yeah, if you're thinking laterally and you can come up with a question that isn't sort of the obvious and you can think outside the obvious and speak to someone and find a new angle or a new story that is not the one that possibly might have presented itself, well, good. You know, that's good journalism. I'm not sure that's what Gary actually meant, but off the top of my head. Um, Well, we thought what we would do, Maz, to, uh, you know, just send you on your way is ask you for some music choices because I think it tells a lot about a person the sort of music that they choose um, so we've got three tracks that you've chosen we're going to hear those now and then you can tell us uh, what you've chosen and why That's From that down, there's just too much feet. Yes, your feet's too big. Don't want you cause your feet's too big. Can't use you cause your feet's too big. I really hate you cause your feet's too big. Where'd you get them? Some music there chosen by Marion Kenny. What were those tracks and why did you choose them? Well, the inimitable sound of Slade with Mama, We're All Crazy Now. Uh, I was a massive, massive Slade fan when I was a teenager. I was, I'll was. i just give you two quick anecdotes on that. I was in the uh, Slade fan club. and uh, <laughs> There was one, was there? Yeah, okay, absolutely. They were massive. It wasn't a heartthrob. I had different heartthrobs, but that was the band that I absolutely thought they were amazing to watch and listen to and uh, fan club members were invited to go there was a film made called Slade in Flame which is quite an interesting film actually and uh, members of the fan club were invited to to go to Hammersmith Palais I was living in southwest London at the time that's where I grew up and be the crowd scene and I knew 100% I knew my parents would not let me have a day off school and if you're listening (laughs) I skived. I went to that. <laughs> Subsequently, when I was... Don't at, listen, Luna. Don't listen. No, yeah, don't <laughs> listen to that. But it, it had to be done. That may have been the only time. I was a bit of a goody-goody. That's the only time I skived that I can remember. And I got into the crowd scenes and there was I can actually see myself on the album cover somewhere. Um, and also when I was at Piccadilly Radio, now Key 103 in Manchester, um, Noddy Holder, who was the lead singer of Slade had a Sunday afternoon programme. It was only an hour. It was pre-recorded in an independent studio and sent in. But one day he came and did it. And I didn't know this. And I walked into the the tea room and Noddy Holder was sat there. No stack platform shoes, you know, no makeup, no top hat with all the silver discs on it. But it was Noddy and I'd had not a single clue what to say to him. So I, I missed my opportunity to tell him, you know, how much I thought of him. But uh, I was a serious journalist by then. I know. And you're so good with words, but actually completely tongue-tied me. Tongue-tied completely. <laughs> Number two was uh, Fat Swallow, Your Feet's Too Big. It's I just love 
it's funny. Fat Swallow's a favourite, and it's it's one in loving um, deference to my amazing mum and dad, who uh, dad always had some. We we had a record player at home and and a, a collection of LPs, and uh, which was full of like my taste, very Catholic taste, eclectic collection, which included some jazz and dad liked Fat Swallow. So that's one I heard quite a lot as I was growing up. And the other one was The Stranglers. That's the rock chicken, I suppose. I just absolutely adored The Stranglers. I've never got sucked into the full-on punk thing. I really, really enjoyed The Stranglers, that keyboard, the bass. And I do recall one of the concerts of my lifetime was seeing them live at Battersea Park. Oh, Marion. She's got such good taste in music. I love the fact as well, speaking of being a rock chick, that she's wearing a very rocking T-shirt today. I love radio. It may be the last time, really. Does it mean what you're going to stop loving radio? No, it doesn't. But I can't wear it in my new job. And I might, I can't wear it gardening either, but I might wear it in bed. How about that? There we go. Uh, Well, Marion, as I say, lots of text messages coming in wishing you all the best for the future. But I'm just going to read this one out from Steve D because I think he sums up what a lot of people are saying. And he says, we are going to so miss your professional, even-tempered presentation of news. Your leaving is indeed Manx Radios and the island's loss. The very best of luck. Oh, I'm going to cry. Thank you, Steve. Don't. Thank you. That is so much appreciated. Do you think um, you will be back, you know, on the other side? Will we be interviewing you in your new role, do you think? No, you won't be interviewing me. I'm going to be... um, (laughs) It is such a reversal. I mean, at the moment, or almost up until, you know, last week, I was out there grilling ministers, and I will literally be on the other side preparing. Sometimes it's not the whole job, it's only one part of it, but, you know, putting forward... Um, the government's case. That is the job. Boundaries there. One job, this side. Another job, that side. But I think I've got the experience and I know what goes on in the warped mind of journalists and I know how the media work in the island and I'm pretty strong on the news agenda. So hopefully I can offer some positive thoughts on how the government might, might like to present its policies. I love that, the warped mind of journalists. Is that us, Matt? I think it might be. Marion Kenny, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. The very best of luck uh, for all your future ventures.